back to Happy Brain Podcast. This week, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into happiness. Now, here's your host, Dr. Robert Olson. Hello, hello. So we've talked a little bit about happiness before, um, but this obviously will be an ongoing conversation. One of the things that I've kind of been thinking about recently, Dr. Olson, is happiness as a choice. Is happiness a choice? Yeah, that's a good question because it sounds like um, it makes me think of free will. It makes me think of mind over matter or mind over mood or fake it till you make it or really being able to just decide which thoughts work for us and which emotions work for us. Um, I think happiness can be a choice because I think that concept is a lot more, it takes into a lot more factors than just depression. Because personally, I don't think depression is much of a choice because that's a reaction to our brain. Um, There are things that we can do about depression per se, um, including some self-activating things that actually help us in treatment and such. But uh, I like your premise. Happiness is probably a choice. It probably is. So then I guess I would posit to you, how do you make that choice and why would you not make that choice? Yeah. You know, I, I do think of this because I, I want to be careful and clarify that this isn't necessarily directed to those who are managing, you know, major depression or anything like that because that's, that's a whole different category. But I think it's for mostly us on a daily basis who maybe teeter-totter back and forth between, you know, kind of feeling low or not feeling grateful um, or disconnected disconnected right because I personally struggle with that a lot I have to keep myself in check I have to check my self-talk I have to check that I'm not dwelling on these negative things and be paying tribute or being grateful for for the things that I have in that respect do you have any advice on how people could perhaps be more active in either creating or acknowledging more happiness in their lives, such as like specific skills they could practice. Yeah, I think, of course, like anything else, it's very individualistic. Some people are, you know, just case in point, one woman I talked to, she says that the thing that she loves the most is folding laundry. And to me, that is one of the most inane sorts of things, but it provided her a sense of control, sense that, you know, things are clean, she's getting her house in order, it's self-care, she's got, you know, um, a working machine, and, you know, she's just being part of productive, being a productive person in her life and such. Um, So who am I to judge her happiness based on folding laundry, which I don't personally like? You know what I mean? Um, So I think it's up to each of us to determine what makes us happy and try to go towards that. Just as importantly, I think it is uh, crucial for us to learn what is getting in our way as far as happiness. So I think a lot of things are like, you know, when the world is not supposed to be the way I think it should be, then that makes me unhappy. Unfortunately, that presupposes that the world should be the way I think it should be. So I think when we think things are going the way they're supposed to go, I think that really needs to be an opportunity to see what kind of values we're trying to inject into the rest of the world that's getting in the way. 
Um, you know, this is troubling times. People are arguing at each other and things like that. And, you know, differences of opinion will always be because people are just different and such like that. But I think if we're really holding on to things that really get in our way, then I think we're going to be stepping in front of our own happiness. Yeah, that kind of sounds like, um, you know, that makes me think of the toxicity of expectations. I like to have some expectations because it gets me excited about things. Um, it helps me to invest in things. It's kind of like planning for a vacation. I derive so much of my happiness from the planning process. Inevitably, I am gearing up a lot of expectations around that and I try and be flexible. But from that planning, so much happiness is achieved. But in turn, I think having too much expectation or maybe too rigid of expectations can be the barrier between us being able to, I don't know, go with the flow of things. Well, yeah, and I, I plan to, and I, I derive a lot of pleasure in kind of figuring out what I'm going to be doing next in the next, you know, what's the next trip or something like that. I do have to be careful with that because sometimes it can actually border on obsessional thinking, mm. you know, and it's almost, and it takes me out of the moment because I'm already like three months away or six months away, you know, trying to presuppose about what this will be, what that will be and stuff like that. So it's really just a fantasy. It's yeah. just a fantasy. So I really have this year or this last year been very mindful to not use the word expectation, but instead plans and hopes because plans and hopes are not set in stone. Expectations seem to be and expectations are just fantasy, too. You know, uh, reality is much different oftentimes from expectations. I think if we could predict the future to the nth degree, which is what, like, I think weather forecasters are trying to do, they can't even do it with you know, 100% accuracy. Um, so I don't think, it, you know, we necessarily can plan for the entire future. Sometimes it's hard to plan for our entire morning. Case in point, I mean, I used the term this morning that the stars will have to align for me to be on time <laughs> for, you know, this. Say, for instance, just because things kind of get away from us and such like that. Yeah. But going back to happiness and the choice of happiness, I think there are some things that we can do besides looking for things that get in our way and also truly identifying things that make us happy or, or allow us to access happiness or work towards happiness. Um, but I think there is also a way to train our brain to look at things less judgmentally. Mm, that's challenging. Because when we judge everything and everything sucks, then it saps the happiness out of everything. That's something that I noticed a lot, you know, as we entered the new year and leaving 2020. There's a lot of dialogue about, oh, 2020 sucked, this and this. And I will say it was a very challenging year. But I've tried to change my language around it because it wasn't making me feel any better. I was talking to somebody who, you know, and maybe it was you, um, who said, oh, things aren't going to be different necessarily in January 1st, 2021. And I'm like, oh, yeah, none of those problems. A pandemic's not going to be over. Nothing's going to be really, really different. The challenges are still going to be there. We're still going to have challenges in the future. Right. Um, and my dialogue of saying, oh, 2020 sucked actually was really toxic to me. It was toxic to my mood, to my home, and it didn't allow me to be grateful. I mean, I had a really small gathering of just my brother and his partner at my house for New Year's, and that was our New Year's party. And I asked everybody to just say what they were thankful for, and it made me feel so full. It filled my cup up. Um, 
And, you know, my partner looked at me, are you happy that we all did your activity? And I'm like, yes, I'm so happy. And I hope that you're happier for it. And I was, you know, I was getting kind of critical on my friends who were, you know, saying, oh, 2020 sucks. Because I'm like, you really need to think about the lessons that you learned, how resilient we have become because of all of this, or maybe even just we were always resilient, but now we can see it. And that there were still a lot of blessings. I mean, I had a new addition to my family. Um, I had somebody very close to me overcome addiction or at least, you know, come out from the pit of their addiction. And rather than being like looking at the negative of they fell into addiction, they went to recovery. Mm -hmm. You know, I can reframe these horrible things that I went through this year and be grateful. I don't know. It made me feel a lot better rather than falling back on that. I don't know. I definitely have those two people on my shoulder and one is just super negative and I'm just trying to get rid of that version of myself. Well, to tangent away from that a little bit, I mean, springboard from that, I think um, our brain is really designed to see contrast. We know this from animal studies as far as like, you know, like uh, dogs can see when somebody moves. But if a squirrel stands still, it's like it's invisible. You know, so it's this contrast of moving, not moving is what our brain is really designed to see. Even our um, retinas, they, the visual field kind of like burns out quickly. So our eyes actually have to move a little bit as we're looking at something to keep focus on what we're seeing because each cell just gets a little burnt out and we have to kind of like let it replenish and come back. So there's all these little on and off switches and such. And then our brain, what it does, it, it sees contrast so well that I think from a... Um, higher mind sort of thing, we kind of adopt that. So it's, uh, you know, friend or foe on a primitive level, friend or foe, good or bad, black or white white thinking. Right, exactly. It's one or the other sort of thing. And then this goes into our higher mind. So then we make these snap judgments. Are you a friend? Are you a foe? Are you fat? Are you thin? Are you good? Are you bad? You know, this sort of thing, we kind of keep that, even though I think uh, reality is way, way more nuanced. So much so that I think if, if, if something is like 51% good, then we have to be okay calling it good. It's almost like a democracy, you know? That's a challenging part. And I think that actually might, if you're able to do that, then maybe that is the key to the happiness. Because I mean, even in friendships, you know, it's harder, I think, in close relationships, you know, intimate relationships. But if I go back and look at my, my best friends, you know, from childhood, oh boy, how many falling outs have we had? You know, how many times have we grown and developed, you know, and it's funny because they say, oh, people never change. Well, that's an insult to me because I've changed so many times that I don't even recognize some of the versions of my past self, you know. Um, You know, it's like the old dog, new tricks, you know, that doesn't happen or things like that. That's very limiting. Um, But I think, you know, back to the happiness thing, I think if you're able to, you know, sit on the scale and recognize that, you know, that 51% is the ruling because it's so easy. And even in my memories, it's easier to remember the negative. And I don't, I don't know if it's because I've thought about them more, you know, trying to process them. Um, so they're easier to access. Um, I don't know why that is. You probably know why that is. Well, it makes me think of a couple of things. One, um, you know, there's an old, um, there's, you know, the old adage, uh, one rotten apple spoils the barrel. You know what I mean? So we, we have this like, huge disgust to this one sort of thing. And, it, you know, one sort of thing could really overshadow a hundred good things. 
You know what I mean? So we really have to be careful in that. And again, I think it goes down to primitive brain type stuff because if one rotten apple could kill you, it's appropriate to avoid that barrel. You know so I mean? you create this aversion from maybe this, you know, one or maybe, you know, somewhat rare experience. Well, and I think it's it's uh, manipulated, too, because, I mean, somebody could be the nicest person, say some sort of person in the media, could be the nicest person, and they do one foul thing that's considered foul or one skeleton comes out, and then their whole career is for naught, you know? Some well-meaning and very, very uh, well-spoken you know, public speakers have said that, you know, nobody is infallible. Everybody has things in their past that really are not ideal. Maybe it's the hiding of it, though, you know, because I think when we try to like you act like we are without flaws or where we try and conceal things where it feels manipulative or it feels like you're, you know, falling in that line area, which goes back to you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading on, you know, shame and shame. the difference between shame and guilt mm-hmm. um, or regret. Um, but, you know, feeling shame often makes us do bad things, lie about it, hide it, conceal it, whereas mm-hmm. guilt makes us kind of come forth and take ownership and want to reconcile. Um, and it's really, you know, it's very easy to kind of fall into that shame place and want to, you know, like, let's say if I did something to trans grass against you that instead of you know taking ownership you know i don't know what would i do let's say i broke i broke something as a child you know? yeah and rather than me bringing it to you then i experience shame and i hide it and then when you find it i lie about it mm-hmm. you know and they're like well i know you did that and it's mm-hmm. still no i didn't even though you've already now been caught in that lie mm-hmm. i think we've all kind of been there and then you keep digging your hole deeper and deeper well, and I think that, you know, the shame is propagated and manipulated. It's, uh, you know, Miguel Ruiz would call it part of domestication. You know, these are kinds of uh, things like you're supposed to be a certain way. Yet we all feel shame. And I think really the vast majority of I would posit, have something that we feel shame about. Yet it's probably something we've all done. You know, I mean, of course, there's a scale. I mean, there's some things that absolutely we should feel guilty for. You know, I think we can we can identify that murdering somebody is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think there's a few basic rules. I, I kind of default to the golden rule, you know, do unto others yeah. kind of thing. Because I've always that, loved that. That's a personal space thing. I'm not going to kind of do things that I wouldn't like someone doing to me and such like that. Um, so, I, you know, it's a kind of good rule of thumb and everything else is kind of like delineated or, you know, uh, down to the letter and such like that. And but across any belief system. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. such like a, you know, I don't. I've never even had anybody try and argue, and I think it's such a, a great platform to kind of live your life by. Yeah, it's, it's non-denominational, it's, it's, it's cross-cultural and such like that. So um, I think that's an easy rule of thumb. And just like, um, so there's a spectrum of things that, you know, absolute bad stuff. And there's probably absolute good stuff. Like I think helping others, we would all consider that to be helpful. You know, that's, that's on the good end. But, you know, everything else is kind of in between and fine. You know, so um, I think we give ourselves a little too much um, internal judgment as a result of being judged too much. And therefore, we see the world in a very sort of judgy way, which unfortunately takes the wind out of any sort of happiness because we feel like we have to be a certain way that is against our nature to a degree or we have to do live our lives for somebody else, which is 
you know, it's basically we mortgage our happiness to somebody else because of whatever. Um, it would be nice, I think, if we had like, you know, just like financial health, if we had a little more instruction on how to be financially yeah. healthy, if we actually had like ways to be healthy and happy, you know, because, again, there's not one way. And I think there's, you know, we lose it. Uh, I mean, history is fine and well and good and such like that. But I do think learning how to be, you know, able bodied and help happy is 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 missed. It really is missed. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's something that I think is kind of only put on our parents to teach us. And if their parents haven't taught them or if they've only taught themselves, then they're, they're only passing on what skills they've acquired. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's only the best that they can do typically. But sometimes that's that doesn't meet it. I was reading earlier today um, something by Mahatma Gandhi, which um, is happiness is when what you think and what you do are in harmony. Does that kind of ring true for to you? Um, it's. It, I think that's a nice rule because it sounds like um, you know your thoughts and your actions are congruent. You know, so we're not hiding. You know, we're not um, like helping others, even though we're not helping ourselves, kind of thing. Um, and you know, it sounds like that is being true to our nature to a degree um harmony is always sounds like a good thing i mean that's i think a very um positive sort of word uh it's all relative too you know because i think we can get a lot of happiness you know say if we're making a lot of money some people find that to be very rewarding uh, and I think in and of itself, there's nothing bad with that, even though I think you could argue that money is a problem and it's, there's inequality and all this jazz. But truly, if an individual really is happy when they're doing that, then who am I to judge? I think as a, a fellow traveler, I would argue what are, what's that doing? You know what I mean? Is it at cost for everything else or are you using it for other things? But then again, that's my judgment. You know, so we have 8 billion opportunities to have people judging about this world and their place in it and such like that. Uh, thankfully, I think uh, most of us can come up to with a consensus of what, uh, you know, how to live harmoniously together in this, even though it seems like we have a bunch of different drives to be happy in and of itself. But we're all human beings. So I think it, to a degree, there's only so many things we can do to be happy. Frankly, I think we really overcomplicate happiness. And I think that's something I've kind of acknowledged this year since my world has become very small and isolated. And the things that I did, you know, going to concerts or going out on the weekends and socializing, making new friends, I haven't been able to do that. So I've had to simplify the things that I do to seek happiness, such as, you know, that individual you were talking about folding laundry, you know, creating order in my home, keeping myself accountable getting up early, maintaining these routines and feeling good about things that are really simple, which is, you know, very much like a yogi kind of lifestyle. Um, But it's hard, you know, when we go back to seeking that harmony in that my mind was resistant to that simplification process. It was, that was the hardest part. My mind was so anxious and so kind of shaming that on like a daily, you know, on a day, a regular day, I wasn't achieving enough. I wasn't leaving the house. So therefore maybe I didn't do enough, you know, but it's raining outside. And I felt like there was so many barriers that were keeping me in, um, you know, and 
I had a child this year. Um, we had the pandemic. There was a lot of things that kind of were new to me. So there was all these things that really slowed me down to a snail's pace, but my spirit was restless, you know. I think this whole year has been an opportunity to recognize that we were very dependent on um, external things to, to help us with happiness. Stimulation. Um, stimulation, distraction, and things like that. So I think what this has really done is provided a lot of space for us to kind of like be alone with our thoughts. And I think that... Um, you know, for many of us, overscheduling is is coping. You know, uh, it gives us some sort of external sense that we're doing a lot of stuff, so we must be valuable. So personally, I think this year has been an exercise to recognize our value, even if we're not doing something that we deem valuable. Because I think living and living healthily is value in and of itself, because then we can do anything we want. I mean, case in point, I mean, prior to the pandemic, yeah, there was lots of stuff to do, but there was a lot of stress trying to get there, go, you know, be with others or, you know, logistics of going to eat first or, you know, to and from travel or logistics and all that jazz. So, I mean, it wasn't without its stress, you know what I mean? But the payoff seemed to be very, you know, worth it. Um, I think to overly simplify it, though, uh, happiness is dopamine. I mean, if you really want to think about it. So it's just a small amount of real estate in our brain that's probably like two or three centimeters, you know, maybe six square centimeters or something like that. Six cubic centimeters. I mean, it's not very much, right, um, of brain space that is um, stimulated when we do things that bring value. So when we eat, when we... Uh, interact with each other, when we have sex, when we uh, do pleasurable things, you know, we get a little bit of dopamine that reinforces us that says that's good. Now, does that mean it's happiness? Um, too much dopamine from too much food, is that happiness? From a, you know, incidence perspective, maybe so. So we get a little burst every time we eat. But if we're like morbidly obese, then I think our happiness goes down because we're not sleeping well. We're not, you know, we're not uh, diversified in where we're getting our happiness from. Um, so I don't think it's just a dopamine sort of thing. I think that plays a role, um, but it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial. So when you're talking about like the reward pathway, you know, and the things, food, sex, socialization, the things that kind of make us feel good and whole, you know, I think that when we talk about the pandemic and how we've kind of had to simplify that, um, Maybe those kind of small, and I, I use this word kind of loosely, but small addictions to artificially stimulate that reward pathway have kind of been taken away. So people who maybe didn't struggle with anxiety or, you know, maybe a little bit of depression might have experienced this during the, this pandemic as they're kind of withdrawing from those other sources of stimulation. Because um, I know, like, pre-pandemic, I would go out, I love dancing, so I'd go out a lot and go dancing. But then there was a point, a couple of, like maybe six months pre-pandemic, where I was like, oh, I'm getting real sick of this. Like I'm not feeling full after, you know? Right. And I was having a lot of conflict, like, but I love dancing, but I just need something that makes me my soul feel more, you know? I was hitting like a, a plateau from whatever that hit of dopamine was. And I just didn't feel good the day after about it. Um, and the pandemic just totally took that away, that problem. Um, 
but I still felt that withdrawal. And, you know, it's funny because I joke, I'm like, I think I've forgotten how to dance. <laughs> right, right. But, um, yeah. Two things about dancing I think is, is awesome is one, you can't dance and not be happy. You know what I mean? So even if you're not feeling good and you start dancing and it just helps tremendously. You know, it, it makes me think of just like uh, tolerance, you know what I mean, to things. I will counter, though, that um, the, the withdrawal of dopamine, it wasn't a withdrawal, it was a shift. Mm-hmm. So it shifted to TV. TV and Internet really peak our dopamine sensors at the expense of the rest of the world. So watching TV or getting sucked into the Internet, you will feel absolutely connected with people even though you're 100% alone. So it's delusion almost, you know what I mean? But you get enough uh, dopamine in of it so that you feel good, you're rewarded, and you're going to watch that episode again. You know, that's, over and that's over. Real. I know, I know. It's funny because I have conversations with, you know, when I finally do have true human interaction and I'll talk to them about, oh, this memory or this thing that happened. I'm like, oh, never mind. That was a TV show. Right. And it wasn't actually something I experienced or it's not actually somebody I know. Um, and then I'm like, well, this, that's really weird and unsettling. The other thing is in the pandemic is alcohol, the rate of alcohol has gone up and alcohol definitely twinges dopamine a little bit. There's a definite reward there. Um, and then, of course, you know, you see all this thing about sourdough. So people are eating like crazy, which is dopamine, dopamine, uh, I've dopamine. experienced that. Well, I'm just too close to my kitchen. And I've done like food prep as being my source of, you know, my little control center of like where I can, you know, I love the food prep process. I'll research um, recipes and I make it something where I can be kind of proud of. And then also I'm not going out to eat because that's not even an option. Right. But I still crave that delicious um, experience. But inevitably, then I'm overeating because I just keep walking past that cookie jar. And I'm like, you know, I have to tell my partner to hide them from me because I just can't see them anymore. But, yeah, Christmas cookies. I don't want (laughs) to see another another Christmas cookie. You know, and yeah, well, you say that the holidays, I think, are designed to help us with our spirits, too, because the holidays are jam-packed and, you know, in the northern hemisphere in the darkest parts of the, the year. You know what I mean? And you could argue the historical significance and stuff like that, that, you know, um, that, you know, Christmas was actually, if you really dated it back, should have been in August or something like that. But, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever you ascribe to and stuff like that. We have all these holidays in the winter months, so we don't lose hope because it's so darn dark. You know what I mean? Um, in the northern hemispheres, which is, you know, the majority of a huge swath of the Western world is in the Northern Hemisphere. You know what I'm saying? Um, so there are some things as a culture that we do have to help us with happiness. You know, we could argue that, of course, that's been hijacked. So it's more commercialism yeah. and all that jazz, which kind of takes away from it. And then you're paying bills for the whole year, which really is a happiness suck. Yeah, that's really takes the magic out of it. So, again, it's an examined sort of thing. And you really have to figure out what works best for each of us. But um, I don't have really one way to say, do this and you'll be happy. That would be great. Yeah. You know? I was really hoping you'd right. have a tool that I could take home. I mean, you know, again, I go back to as usual, not again here, but, you know, like say this ad, ad nauseum is that, you know, moderation of everything is the way to go. Even moderation and happiness is helpful because, I mean, frankly, that's all we have. We can't be happy 24-7 because if we were, I don't think... Um, we realize it just like, you know, going your example, going out dancing, if you kind of do the same thing, same, you know, same kind of time and stuff like that, we, you know, our brain 
you know, we, we seek novelty, you know what I mean? So when it's not new, you know, we don't see it as much or experience it to the, the degree that we did before. Case in point, when you hear a song over and over and over again, yeah. I mean, if I listen to a song more than three times, I don't even hear it anymore. Yeah. I mean, just because I've heard it and my mind just is somewhere else because I've got the information to a degree. And I'm notorious I mean? for that. I'm really notorious for it. Not just with music, but with food. I could probably eat the same food like for an entire week without even having problems with it, maybe even longer. Um, I mean, my partner jokes about it because he thinks that I like beat a song to death, you know, where it just it's he won't even let me play it, you know, maybe maybe you're lower on novelty seeking. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're more comfortable with stuff that, you know, you're just kind of used to. I think it also it kind of changes my um, as my point of view changes. The song continues to change for me or things like that. I mean, there are some things where I'm like, wow, I really ruined that. But some of them, you know, I, especially like for me, classical pieces, I can listen to them endlessly yeah. um, because my brain is changing. And I feel like the way that I engage with this song is changing or it takes me even back. Um, if it's not changing, then it takes me back to that particular place that I've trained myself to be in. Like I have particular classical music that I always play when I'm wanting to focus you know, something that really, I've listened to it since college. And now if I played it and, you know, most of the songs are about 10 minutes. So it's a perfect amount of time for my brain to kind of be like, okay, I'm done. Um, and that's, I guess it's just my brain training. Um, so it, it helps me kind of, it's almost meditative. I, yeah. I mean, that makes me think of that. It's also, there's emotional memory with songs and such. I mean, this is, um, uh, we tie songs to memories of pleasant things or also we can have theme songs to terrible things. Mm-hmm. You know yep. what I mean? Breakup um, songs. Right, right. Of course, you could argue all songs are about like getting together or breaking up. Yep. Why would you write a song about anything else? Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, um, but um, how does that tie into happiness? It's, I think... Um, Adding anything to um, help reinforce a positive experience uh, is can only be a good thing. Can only be a good thing. So I think that's why we do like you know holiday carols or whatever like that. You know what I mean? It's this repetition that we only hear once a year, even though we've all heard them all and stuff like that. But it 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 harkens back to some memory, and hopefully it's a pleasant a memory. One. You know what I mean? There's a thing called facial feedback response theory, and I'm not sure if you're familiar. But essentially, the idea of it is that when you smile, you activate those muscles in your face, and that initiates a positive feedback loop. And by that, you release those biochemical signals that we were discussing earlier, primarily dopamine, maybe a little bit of adrenaline and endorphins. And then by that, you are actually causing that emotion. So by smiling, even when you're not happy, perhaps you do experience, even if only for a moment, a bit of happiness. And that's kind of that fake it till you make it. Do you feel like that's a real thing that you experience or that you could advise people to kind of challenge themselves to do? Yeah, I remember seeing a study, don't quote me on this, but uh, smiling a couple times a day induces brain changes that are positive. Um, I think it's, it's also power of positive thinking. Um, unfortunately, Saturday Night Live kind of took it to a dark side with 
Al Franken with his parody of the therapist who was looking at himself saying, I'm good enough, smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. Oh, yeah. That is absolutely necessary. And unfortunately, it's turned into a parody, which is mocked. And people, you know, whatever. That's a comedy I've does. had clients actually quote that to me. And I had to look it up because of that. And it's it's important because I think how we talk to ourselves is very, very important because it sets a framework. And so I think we need to just own that and really just give ourselves like the locker room speech or something like that to just kind of get ourselves there. Because otherwise, I think we're at risk of having a lot of negative thoughts about ourselves. The fake it till you make it sort of thing, I do often use the term of facade. You know, and people would argue like it's not faking till you make it, it's working hard until you make it. Um, but even if we're leaning against a facade, so our external appearance looks like we're a lot better on the outside than we are on the inside, I don't think that's a bad place to start, honestly speaking, because if we look like we're upset, people are going to kind of shy away from us because they don't know what to do, you know? That's real. I mean, I don't know if I've definitely had those experiences where, um, like, I'm not looking my best and I go out shopping to try and make myself feel better and I'm not looking good. I'm definitely not setting off a good energy and I've been flagged as like a potential shoplifter because of that. Um, and to take me from already being in the dumps, like, you know, trying to make myself feel good with this like superficial stimulation of a dopamine kick from buying something. Now I'm feeling really, really low of like, okay, they can see I'm, I'm not feeling good <laughs> and they think I'm bad person that I'm shoplifting. Is that a projection of you or is that we've been told you look like a shoplifter because... I think it's also because I look not okay. good. You know, okay. I didn't look great that day. And I'm like, oh gosh, I I'm, I'm definitely need to put makeup on before I leave the house now. But you know, it's funny because last night I was like, I'm not feeling great. Like my mood was low. And I was like, maybe I should tell Dr. Olson I'm not feeling well. Because I didn't know if I could have a conversation. Yeah. And um, well, I got up extra early today and I put on makeup and I'm put on some bright colors. Like normally I wear black. I put on a lot of colors, which is not my usual style. And no joke, I do feel better, yeah. you know? And I don't know if it was like me sleeping and processing some of that mood and the whole routine that I kind of gave myself to have some peace, but I really do feel better. And I don't think by not doing those things for fear of not being in a good headspace would have help me to feel better, if that makes sense. Right. Well, our brain, I think it's in our way. You know what I mean? Because I'm a big fan of, if you don't feel like doing anything, just go take a shower. Because Wash it off. Soap and water. Oh my gosh. It's just as cleansing and it gives you something to distract on. It's self-care and it's, you know, cleansing or baptismal or anointing. I mean, you know what I mean? Whatever you want to say it, it's just like, you know, you're taking care of your body and just it feels much, much better. Yeah, so 2020 easier. was my year of baths. I took a lot of baths this last year. Well, I think it's, you know, it's it's one of those things I think that can help us kind of reset. Because yeah. just be, again, just because we think or feel something doesn't mean it's, you know, reality. It's true. Oh, that's harsh. That it's, makes me kind of It's like... true. It's true. We feel that. We think that. You know, that's true. But is it reality? Yeah. Because when we think hard. of ourselves as like, I'm stupid. My ego is like a little bit in arms right now and a little offended because well, I so often find myself being like, I, you know, especially, you know, I don't have a lot of people to talk to these days. So my poor, you know, significant other has to hear a lot of this, but I'm always saying, I feel, I feel this way. I feel this way, you know, and I'm kind of annoyed that I keep saying that because I, maybe I need to disconnect from 
that illusion of feeling and being? Well, I think feeling is part of being honest, but feeling isn't everything. Mm-hmm. Feeling helps us to um, enhance our life. Feeling good helps us go towards things. Feeling terrible helps us avoid things. You know, I feel bad about poison. So therefore, I, I don't feel compelled to go towards it. You know what I mean? But again, you know, when it comes to our thoughts and our feelings, I think our feelings, we don't really have control of those. But I think acknowledging them and making a cognitive decision, is this pertain to what's, is this helping me or hurting me? Mm-hmm. If it's helping me, run with it. If it's not, figure it out. You know what I mean? It's too simple. How can you figure it out? Well, I, that's... It case by case. It's case by case, honestly speaking. Because what I was I was thinking of was like, you know, when we call ourselves stupid, for instance, which is a terrible, we don't call other people that, you know no, what I mean? Yeah, we're really mean to ourselves, I think. But where's the, where's the information? I mean, where's the proof that we're actually stupid? Because that makes it sound like, you know, um, I think that's more pejorative and judgy uh, than factual. You know what I mean? If we don't know something, figure it out. You know, if we truly can't learn something, then that's not where our forte is. You know what I mean? But I don't think any of us can be experts at everything. You know, so we're not stupid, per se. Yeah, we call ourselves that, which I think is just a factor of, you know, uh, bad uh, or unintended uh, consequences of learning. You know, we're as great as we can be. And it's up to us to be our best selves. Yeah, maybe if we stopped hanging our worth on kind of these superficial experiences or you know because I had that problem where I'm like oh I didn't get my master's degree yet I'm almost 30 next year or this year I guess ouch you know and I'm like I have those problems where I'm like my self-worth is hanging on these kind of milestones if you will but maybe just upon creation we are worthy of you know experiencing this happiness and this sense of self-worth and that there is you know if we remove that expectation that either we have or society has placed upon ourselves and then we're already there well you mentioned time constraint i mean who cares if you don't have a master's before you're 30 i mean if you get your master's you got it yeah if you don't have it you don't have it yet i mean what's the what's the rush you know what i mean and i think we you know it makes me think it's more important to compare ourselves to ourselves and other people um, our, bi- our personal biographies are not written yet. We're reading, writing them as we go. So I think, you know, we just have to be careful about, you know, just because so-and-so got it by this and whatever, you know, that was their journey, not mine. So. so maybe we can end this episode by paying tribute to each individual journey and, yeah, maybe leave it at that. And learn to just find your happiness. I mean, it's and it's a learning experience because I think, you know, and it also changes what makes me happy now may not make me happy later. Who knows? In 20, 30 years, I may just love to fold laundry. Yeah. Right now, I absolutely do not. And there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Right, right.